Hello and welcome back. Earlier we were talking about climate change with Commissioner Nancy Mateer and we have... We are jumping right along into part two here where we are further discussing some of the questions that we asked her in relevancy to her position as commissioner and what climate change means for South Florida. Absolutely. We hope that you have had the chance to check out episode one, which is already live, and that you stay tuned for episode two, and we will catch you at the end. The viability of the ecosystem. Without coral reefs, there are not, there, it's very hard for our ocean or marine life to survive. Our fish really um, depend on our coral reefs. Our coral reefs uh, serves as medicine for us, um, food. So it's a natural part of our marine ecosystem. So what we're seeing now is we're seeing saltwater intrusion. We're seeing our marine life being impacted. And now we have to have a real conversation about what that means for our Everglades. As our Everglades, before we had we built out on the Everglades, it was a natural filtering system. From the top of where the Everglades starts all the way down to the Keys, it filters our water before it enters the ocean. So what we're seeing now is when sea level rises, that's going to really create another issue with filtration of our water. Um, so it's just one thing after the other after the other. So it's really important that Florida understands the impacts of climate change and create some type of plan to adapt and mitigate. And right now, I don't think our leadership on a state level are taking this issue as seriously as it needs to be. With that being said, in my tenure, I would hope to move our city, Coral Springs, in a way where we move from fossil fuels and that will then result to less impacts of climate change. Yeah, so um, I'm so lucky to have colleagues who believe that climate change is real and understand the science behind it. Now, I pride myself with saying that I'm the, I'm the only scientist on the day is currently, and that is me just bringing a different perspective to the way we address policy. So we're now building our downtown corridor. Every opportunity, I say, to put in net zero buildings, to put in solar panels, to put in tree canopies, to put in things that decrease our dependency on fossil fuels, I take that opportunity on. Decreasing our dependency on fossil fuels means less carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases being released in our atmosphere, lessening that blanket that covers up less um, directly um, resulting in less ice caps being melted into our waterways, right? And so we all play a part of this puzzle. And if everybody plays their part, every municipality approaches um, climate change the way that I would like to see our city address climate change, we would move forward, we would be innovative, and we would be an example for the rest, not only the country, but the rest of the world. It can be done. It's a matter of us really shifting our mindset and shifting our priorities. Is it important for us to have 700 buildings? I'm exaggerating, but like eight buildings on Sample University, or is it more realistic 
to invest in green spaces or spaces that absorb a lot of those green green gases, right? Is does it make sense make sense to invest in buildings that already exist here and um, switch or convert the way that we use them? We have so much empty buildings and plazas throughout of South Florida. If we would just convert their usages, we would be essentially <laughs> not creating more, not building more, um, and really ensuring that we are investing in other things. And when I mean other things, I mean green space, I mean tree canopies, I mean solar. The, my What I always hear is we don't have a lot of land mass to have solar panels. Well, if we stop building up everything, maybe we would, right? And so to the buildings that are already here, how are we adapting or ensuring that we're mitigating them in a way that are making them more efficient? So yes, that, those are things that I would love to see in our city. I would love to make sure that everything that we do has an environmental lens. And with that being said, I'm pushing the city to hire either a resilience manager, uh, an environmental resilience chief manager, whatever it is, but someone that really addresses um, environmental impacts in our community and ensuring that we're tackling it on to every project that we sign on to. Yeah, that's a great question. So we did a lot of cleanups, lunch and learns, and hurricane preparedness. You can't get enough of hurricane preparedness. And we saw that during Hurricane Irma, right? People, it's like a standing joke here in South Florida. Um, folks, have folks have hurricane parties. People go to the beach. like. But really, Hurricane Irma really centered us. And really ensure that we take we start we begin taking hurricane preparedness seriously. The impact to our most vulnerable populations we saw that in our nursing homes when um, their generators were no longer working and individuals passed away. We saw that people who lived paycheck to paycheck couldn't afford to prepare for hurricane preparedness, and we also saw um, industries collapse <laughs> because. Um, they did not prepare in a way to bring back their employees, which caused another issue. People can't live. So hurricane preparedness was something that I felt was near and dear to me that ensured that not only everybody understood how to prepare, but our most vulnerable understood how to prepare. You don't have to go to the grocery store and fight people for bread and water. You can Fill up your con empty containers at home and put and store them to the side. Um, and that also decreases our dependency on single plastics, right? Um, so there are ways for us to connect and make, our job was basically connecting the issues of the community and making it more palatable. So hurricane preparedness was one. And we did that through our, uh, our lunch and learns. And we also did that through our cleanups. Um, we participated, members on the board participated in cleanups. We are participated in education programs um, in our, for example, Waterfest that happens every year in Broward County. Um, I created a Jeopardy board, which gave like facts and figures. And if you, one, you're, you're round, you got to plant and so, or some seeds. And it just really encouraged people to understand um, how directly 
the environment plays a role in their life. Um, it's a nexus. And my favorite saying is, uh, we have no domain over it like human beings should not have domain over the environment. It's a circle of life. When one part of this nexus um, is impacted, it impacts all of us. It may not impact us all the same way, but we definitely will feel those effects um, sooner or later. Um, I don't know if, I, if I'm recalling this correctly, but I do recall on your Coral Springs bio page, it said that you mm -hmm. got a, a, an award from the UN for your work. Was that specifically for that? Um, it's my work around water quality. So I did work in Haiti around the um, cholera pandemic and access to public health. So water quality is my niche, um, ensuring that people understood how to properly filter their water and not expose themselves to waterborne diseases. Um, so I did that. And, and I guess folks liked what I did and I got an award for it. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations. And thank you for, for that work. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, fourth question, chugging right along, what are some things you think people can start doing at home or at work to make steps towards a more sustainable lifestyle? I know um, this is easier said than done, but please stop buying plastics. Please stop buying single-use plastics. That's the first step that you can do, right? And it not only is better for your health, <laughs> because we all know plastic bottles, when they sit out in the sun, some plastics may leach in the water and gets into your, you know, get into your body. So that's one. But also when we dispose those plastics, it ends up in our landfills, it ends up in our oceans. And again, going back to our marine life, it directly impacts them. So first thing you can do is not buy single-use plastic, one. Two, try to see if you can coordinate with your supervisor that you can work from home two or three times out of the week. Less time that you spend in your car, the less time you release greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, and that will help us and our environment. We're going to go back to COVID and really talk about I know it had negative impacts. I'm not saying anything about the pandemic was great, but there are things about the pandemic that taught us a lot about how we treat our environment. When everyone was on shutdown, you there were pictures of Los Angeles where the fog disappeared, where you saw communities of color who live next to utility play, uh, utility plants or where there are um, really areas where there was a lot of smoke and smog you saw a decrease in that and people were able to see the atmosphere was able to see the sky right um people started saying that they can smell the difference in the air um it, we saw the impacts in the biscayne in miami of with the wildlife that had never we thought disappeared were coming back turtles were coming back um, to the to the um, sandbar. Um, so it was just beautiful to see. And it taught us that we are harming our environment. Just those three weeks alone, we could saw the major shift. I like to say this, Mother Nature is going to reheal and generate itself. It's a matter of fact, if we're going to be here to see <laughs> Mother Nature do what it does, and she's fighting back and she's fighting back 
with wildfires. She's fighting back with the hurricanes. She's fighting back the best way that she can to grab our attention. And if we don't listen to that cry, sooner or later, it'll be too late. Like, I'm afraid it'll be too late before we can really do something about it. So thank you to Commissioner Mateer for taking the time to speak with us. This was a really great interview and we had so much great material. And in trying to keep our podcast just into very digestible small chunks, we decided to split it into two episodes. Um, thank you to my co-worker and co-host, Shelby. Um, she does a lot of the legwork for these interviews. And we'd also like to thank Christian Recasina, who did the music for our podcast. Um, thanks to you for listening. If you would like to learn more about us, you can look us up on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, just basically everywhere. <laughs> um, you can also donate through our website if you so choose. And we will catch you on our next episode.